So I want to I want to um, just um, pray before I do. Last week was um, was Pentecost Sunday, and um, and and I think it's such a beautiful. Uh, well, it's not a picture, it's a reality of how God's Spirit unites everyone. And I think that's a great way to start Reconciliation Week. And, um, and even better, in the, in the Eastern Church tradition, today is Pentecost Sunday because the calendars are a bit out. And so I think it's like, so we, we, we've got two Pentecost Sundays happening. So I reckon we can celebrate both and, and kick off really in, uh, Reconciliation Week with, uh, with, this, with this picture in our head of, of what Pentecost was and how it united everyone together and there was no longer Jew and Gentile or male or female or white or black or white or brown or whatever it is. And it was, and it was, we're all viewed equal in the eyes of God. And, and, and Pentecost, the Spirit draws us into that reality. And as a church, we're, we're a Pentecostal church. And, um, and, we, and we love what uh, the Spirit does. The Spirit unites. He doesn't divide. So, um, so let's pray together as a church um, for, for Reconciliation Week. That, um, that not only would this just be a week where, um, uh, where we work towards reconciliation, but the Spirit would do something really powerful in this nation, because I believe that the Spirit needs to do something powerful in this area. And if only the people were willing to rise up and speak into this and, and join in this reconciliation. So let's pray, church. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just pray that your Spirit is here this morning, Lord. We know it's here, that you never leave or forsake us, God. But we pray that together this morning that you unite us as a church, Lord, that you begin to unite this nation, Lord. Lord, that you begin to tear down injustice in this nation, Lord, that you begin to reconcile, Lord, this nation with, um, with the, the, people, the people of this land, Lord. Lord, we pray that, um, Lord, that it would, it would no longer be us or them, Lord, that we would come, Lord, that we would come with repentance and reconciliation in our heart, Lord. We wouldn't come with a spirit of exclusion, but a spirit of an embrace, Lord. Lord, we pray that you draw us together this morning, Lord, that you draw our hearts together as we, as we um, listen to your word, Lord. But we pray that this would be carried out into the week, Lord, and that the gospel would be one of reconciliation, one of unity as we carry it into the week, Lord, and we... God, we look to our Aboriginal brothers and sisters, Lord, and we look to their leadership this morning. We look to, God, we ask them the way to reconciliation, Lord. Lord, we pray that your spirit would unite us, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to get into it this morning. I'm going to skip my intro. We'll just get straight into it. We're going to be reading from, um, if you've got your Bibles, we're reading from Matthew um, uh, chapter 5, verse 43. That's where we'll start. We'll see how far we get. Um, we're continuing the series of Sermon on the Mount, which we have entitled Walking in the Resurrection. So if you've been around for the last couple of weeks, we've been walking through this series of Sermon on the Mount and how that we can actually bring it into our lives as Christians and how that we can actually walk out the resurrection and how it looks in our life. Um, I was reading a, uh, I was reading to Emma yesterday this um, um, uh, Jürgen Moltmann doing some teaching around communi- communion. He's talking about, um, you know, that verse that uh, it's like we do this in remembrance of you. And it's and he was saying that it's not about remembering Jesus dying on, on the cross over and over again that he just died this one day. But it's it's calling to remembrance the reality of walking in the resurrection and that how we participate in that experience of dying and rising in Christ. And this is what. Um, and you know that's what the Eucharist or the communion is about, and we'll partake in that later. But this is also this this is so uh, walking in the resurrection, and this is what the Sermon on the Mount is about. So we're gonna we're gonna get into it. Um, 
And we're going we're to be talking this morning about probably almost the pinnacle of, um, of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and that is enemy love. So we're going to be unpacking um, this scripture. I mean, I've got here all the way up to vo- verse 48. I don't think we'll make it that far because there's probably a thousand things to say just about the first two verses here. This is such a transformative piece of scripture, and I want to ca- you to catch the heart of this this morning because we talk a lot about... Um, about Christianity being something um, is love God and love others. Um, and, and Jesus here, he makes sure that he's very clear on who the others are. It's not just our neighbor. And so we're going to unpack this together as a church and, um, and we're going to see where it goes. And, um, and I'm trusting the Spirit this morning. It's been an interesting week. Um, but I know that God's got a message um, in this for all of us. And, uh, and this has been a message that's really shaped my walk as a Christian. So um, but I'm going to have a drink of water and then we'll get into it. All right, so I'm reading from the ESV this morning if you want to change your version on your phone or go out and buy a new Bible. Um, So from the ESV, uh, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So we're going to stop right there. Um, This is interesting, right? Jesus is pretty aware that it doesn't say this. Um, Usually where we get this teaching from is uh, Leviticus 19, I think, and um, and it talks about loving your neighbor, but the hate your enemy is just seems to be a clause that is being tacked on after a couple of a couple of hundred years because suddenly um, and um, uh, the the Jewish teachers that they looked at this and they're like, if we were to love our neighbor, our neighbor must be our Jew, our fellow Jew, and so anyone who isn't a Jew, I guess, isn't our neighbor, neighbor, and then that that would be our enemy, and then, um, and I guess we would hate our enemy, and they kind of just followed this course of logical reasoning, and who knows that God is often not logical in his reasoning, so they've, they've gone, and, and, and so Jesus has said this, I mean, this isn't scripture, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but this is the interpretation that they've drawn from scripture. So, so when he says, you have heard it said, he's not talking about them reading in the Torah, this is what it says. He's like, you've heard it said, most likely from the Pharisees. You've heard it said, most likely from the teachings that, that have been brought, that, the, that you shall love your neighbor. And everyone's like, yeah, that's a good thing. That's something that we should do. But you should hate your enemy. And it's interesting. But then Jesus, as he, as he so often does, he takes something that is quite clear-cut and simple, and he makes it very, very difficult. And he says... But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, we're going to stay here for probably the entire sermon. I'm not sure how much more we're going to take it than this. Because we've got this idea that Jesus is now saying, do not hate your enemies. I don't care like what you've, what you've heard. If you've heard, hate your enemies. I want to tell you something completely different is love your enemies. Obviously, we're going to include love your neighbor in there. I mean, it's pretty obvious that we're already, we're already going to do that because he does go on to say, like, um, uh, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors do the same. And if you only greet your brothers, what more are you doing? Do, do not even the Gentiles do that. And when, when it's um, this uh, same idea is preached in, in Luke, it's, um, he talks about loving, uh, loving your, um, your enemy, not expecting anything in return. Like, it's this, it's this idea of, like, 
of this, um, it's like, well, of, of course you can love your neighbor. It's really, it's really quite simple to love your neighbor. Everyone kind of does that. Um, but I'm, I'm going to take it to the next level. I'm going to challenge you to love more than your neighbor. I'm going to challenge you to love your enemy. Now, in the Jewish like tradition, the neighbor is, it became this thing where it became a race thing, right? It's like, it's, if you weren't Jewish, you were on the out. Okay, and, and this is, and this is pr- pretty applicable to Reconciliation Week, I reckon, is that we can see if we view things in terms of race and we try and pr- provide superiority, superiority to our neighbor, if we try and say that this is where, this is the people who God have chosen, like this is the mindset the Jews had that we are God's chosen people and everyone else is excluded. Well, we just talked about when we opened today about Pentecost and what does that mean? It means the inclusion of all us. I don't know, I don't know, your background and your history. I know that Jared's got a little bit of Jewish history in him, but I mean, for me, the only reason that I can stand here as a pastor, as a Christian, and be accepted in Jesus' love is because of Pentecost, that it was stripped back and it was opened up for everyone. So that means that I definitely don't want to be the guy that's preaching love your neighbor, because in, in the Jewish tradition, I don't even have a name. I'm the enemy. I'm the guy that's not the neighbor, right? And I'd say that most of you are the guys that are not the neighbor, right? Unless you've got some Jewish heritage. We, we found out, my brother-in-law, they found out um, recently that he had some Jewish heritage and it was such a celebratory moment. We were just like, this is so great. You got Jewish heritage. You're in, man. You're, everyone's in. We were just joking around, but everyone's in. So there's, um, I've been doing a, um, a, uh, a unit on apologetics this um, this semester, which has been really interesting. Which apologetics is essentially arguing the Christian faith, and I've had to read a bit of stuff from from atheists. And I, I read um, the lovely Christopher Hitchens' uh, beautiful book, "God Is Not Great: How Religion Poisons Everything." And um, and it was actually like a, quite a bit of it that I, I was like, "Oh, that's a good point." And and I'm actually going to quote him here today, a bit of heresy. Um, but I'm going to I'm going to quote him here today because he actually speaks about this love your neighbor thing and. And uh, even though I've just said that the love your neighbor thing is, is quite easy, he does point out that it's probably not the easiest thing to do. And he says, The order to love thy neighbor as thyself is too extreme and too strenuous to be obeyed, as is the hard-to-interpret instruction to love others as I have loved you. Humans are not constituted as to care for others as much as they are themselves. The thing simply cannot be done. Now, Although I fundamentally disagree with Hitchens, I kind of see his point. Because I'm, I know that in myself that I, am, um, I have the tendency to be overtly selfish. And I know that in my life that sometimes I found, found it hard to, people, uh, to love the people that are, that are my family that are like my immediate family, the people that are like definitely my neighbors that, that even that Jesus talks about, of course, like um, even the tax collectors do the same. Like sometimes I found it, and I'm not sure about you, it's probably just me because I'm wearing Cornerstone and everyone here is like doing really well. And then I'm the guy that I'm preaching to this morning. But I don't know about you, but sometimes it can be hard to love your neighbor and it can be this thing. And I think what Christopher Hitchens is getting at here is, is going... Um, He's saying it's impossible. It's like it's completely opposite to human nature. And I wouldn't disagree. So how is it possible that we are to, like, in fact, even love our neighbors non-selfishly, unselfishly, but then Jesus says, how is it even possible to put our enemies first if we don't even put our neighbors first sometime? And there's, um, there's this beautiful quote um, from Tol- um, Tolstoy in War and Peace 
um, that says you can love a person dear to you with human love, but an enemy can only be loved with divine love. If we are to love our enemies, we must love with a divine love. But we are not. Um, but we who are not divine cannot love divinely. It is only through Christ within us and the power of the Spirit that we can love divinely. In fact, this theme permeates the entire theme that we've been talking about, walking in the resurrection. I tell you what, church, I'll give you a tip now. The only way you're going to be able to walk in the resurrection is not through your own strength, but through the strength of the Spirit. Because it's important, like, man, it's hard enough to love my neighbor, let alone love my enemy, and I'm not going to be able to do that in my own corrupt, selfish, sinful nature. I can only do that through the power of the Spirit, through Christ who lives within me. It's impossible to love someone with a divine love if you're not participating in the divine. Like, there's this quote, and I, can't, and I can't remember, and someone may know who it is, but that Jesus, who was divine, became that that was not divine so that we could become divine. Jesus, who was divine, descended in his incarnation, became human, took on the the ugliness or the, the, um, the undivinity uh, divinity of, of human flesh so that then we could be baptized into Christ and take up divinity. Like this is this, this theological idea that only through Christ that I am made divine, that there is hope that one day that I can, um, I can be um, sanctified and, 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 and lifted to this, um, um, to this place. But it's a journey. It's a walking in the resurrection. We're not... We're not there yet. We're like constantly the Spirit is leading us. We're called to reflect the love of the Father that the Spirit inspires within us. So what is, what is divine love? I'm, I'm constantly, and you've probably heard me talk about it before, and if you're a young adult and you've been to Connect Group, you've definitely heard me talk about it, is that this challenge that I've been challenged by so many times where God kind of challenges my prejudice a little bit and I, and. And this thought that God loves me as much as he loves the guy down the street that curses his name. God loves despite the lack of um, reciprocity. Oh, no. I've, I've lost that word. Reciprocity? Yeah, we get it. Um, God doesn't love with a guarantee that will accept his love. He loves very well knowing that his love will be rejected, laughed at, mocked, scorned. A, a divine love is indiscriminate. It has no favorite. It has no enemies. It's like this, and this is, this is my point this morning. This is where we get to that enemy love is transformative. Okay? And, and there's this idea that, um, and I was, uh, has anyone seen the... Um, Letterman's new show on Netflix where he interviews some people. Is anyone? It's just, yeah, me and Nathan and Emma haven't watched it with me. Um, there's this one where he interviews Barack Obama, and, and Barack Obama's talking about um, how, how it's really quite difficult um, in, today's, in today's age. He says, if you watch Fox News, you're living on a different planet than if you listen to NPR. And his, and his point is that the, the media is so set up in this polarized uh, left-right opinion that you actually you just feed your own prejudice that and 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 it's actually there's um, they did this study about um, about 
three people who, um, who had an opinion on, and I think it was a conflict in Egypt, and, they, and one person was completely neutral, one person was completely for it, one person was completely against it, and then they all Googled Egypt. Okay, and the guy who was neutral, it came up with holiday homes on the Nile. Okay, and then the guy who was totally against it, it came up with all the protests and all the things that were wrong and everything. And then the guy that was totally for the conflict, he came up to why that the people need to rise up and there needs to be conflict and there needs to be. And it's the, the your like literally your internet history feeds your prejudice. It feeds whatever you whatever you already believe. Like and and you know anyone ever heard of the term fake news? It's been thrown around a lot, but like literally. It's this idea that the more that we, and I think this is applicable not just to our internet history or not just to where we read the news or listen to the news, but it's like this idea of like we are, the more that we feed into something, the more that we're just going to be, that's going to be reaffirmed and reaffirmed and reaffirmed. And so doesn't that say something about what we should be feeding ourselves with the Word of God or with the teachings of Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount, that we should love our enemies? Because I tell you what, depending on what news channel you watch or what newspaper you read or what Twitter pages you follow will feed who your enemy is. Okay, because I tell you what, that, that there's some people in this room that they might see their enemy as, as one thing and, 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 and another side of the group might see their enemy as something completely different. And I want to tell you this morning, it doesn't matter who your enemy is. I don't, I don't care who your enemy is because Jesus calls us to love our enemy. And I'll tell you what happens when you love our enemy, it transforms you and that person ceases to become your enemy. And, and Abraham Lincoln wrote, do I not destroy my enemy when I make them my friend? All enemies are destroyed when they're loved with divine love. Not in the sense that we would triumph over them in victory, that we would beat them down. That is not the purpose of enemy love. But it is the transformative power that lies in the love, in a love powered by the Spirit of Christ. Because when we gaze upon our enemy with love, they are transformed before us. They cease to become our enemy. They become our neighbor. What a beautiful transformation. If you look upon your enemy with love, how could they be your enemy any longer? If you love your enemy and you speak, you speak only kind words about your enemy, how could, they, how could they continue to be your enemy? But I also want to say, like, this, isn't, this doesn't mean that um, Jesus isn't talking about here endorsing evil acts. Okay, this isn't about endorsing injustice. But one thing, like, I saw this, um, I saw this protest sign once, and I think it was um, the, uh, the Palm Sunday protest, and it said something along, keep, it was talking about Manus Island or, or the detention centers, it said, keep the kids, deport the racists. I'll tell you what, enemy love doesn't endorse racism, but it says, keep the kids, export the racism. Do you see the difference? It gets rid of, it, it, it doesn't accept the evil, but it accepts the person. It accepts, it embraces the person that might be an enemy because they have wrong ideas, that they're preaching evil, that they're doing wrong things. It rejects their evil message, but it loves them with the love of Christ, which is transformative. It's transformative in me. When I love my enemy, I am transformed. But when I love my enemy, they are transformed. We must be rooted in the divine love of Christ stirred within us with the Spirit. Because a human love can love its enemy 
but only in a way of expecting something in return. Remember what I was talking about Luke before, guys, in, in, in this chapter, and, um, and I asked Emma if I could share this story, and she said yes. She, Emma, Emma's had a, um, a few months ago, was having a bit of a tough time at work with one of her colleagues that just like, was just hating on her with no reason. Just like everything Emma did, she would just hate on her. And Emma was finding it so frustrating. And she remembered that there was this time when there was this girl a few years back that was at, um, at the same work that had the same thing. And she was, she was hating. She was hating on Emma. And she was hating on Emma. And Emma didn't know why. And she was like, and then she, she felt that the Spirit challenged her and said, pray for her. Pray for those that persecute you. Bless her. Bless your enemies. So she started to bless her and she saw the transformation in this girl's life. She saw, and, and now they're friends. A complete transformation, right? Now, fast forward a few years and you've got this other girl that's going at Emma and she's going at Emma and she's like, all these things. And Emma's like, I'm going to pray for her because it worked the first time. I'm going to pray for her because she's going to change and I'm going to have a better time at work. And then it wasn't getting better. It was getting worse. Every time Emma would pray, it would literally, she would go to work and it was an even worse day. But then the Spirit, as so gently does, highlighted and said, what's your motivation? Are you expecting something in return? Are you expecting the same results as last time? Because that's not what I call you to do in enemy love. I call you to pray, the pers- pray for the person that persecutes you. I don't promise they'll stop. Pray for those who persecute. I tell you what, if, like, let's look at like Jesus. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. He's blessing his enemies, those who are literally persecuting him. He's saying that from the position of the cross. It didn't work out. He died. It wasn't like they were like, they heard him say that and they are like, get him down, get him to a hospital, man. We've, we've crucified the wrong guy. Like, there was no transformation in them at that point. It wasn't something in return. And we can't love our enemy expecting something in return because we just returned. That's human love. That's selfish love. That's not divine love. We look at how God loves us. He loves the person that scorns him. He loves the person that abuses him. He, his love is, is immeasurable. It's unconditional. We want to place conditional love on enemy love. We want to say, I love my enemy for two weeks. But if they don't change in that time, then I'm done. I've, I love the, God, I love them for a whole year and they're still persecuting me. That's not the heart of enemy love. Miroslav Volf writes in his book, Exclusion and Embrace, and this is a guy that knows about enemy love, right? This is a guy that's growing up in, um, in uh, Croatia, yes, and, and, and the persecution of um, when the Soviet Union uh, dissembled and, and uh, the Yugoslavs and, and, and all the wars and the fighting. And he had this incredible realization because he's like, he's like, oh, we're, if we're all praying for liberty and if we're all praying... Um, for he's like I've got I've got friends that are that are that I grew up with in the Soviet Union and now they're part of another country and we're enemies suddenly and we we have the same faith and we're both praying for God to liberate our countries. He's like, but what if we what if we put liberation behind the embrace? What if we first started with the embrace? What if we first started with love? Not because not not so we can love so that they're there is, like, love without an agenda. That's what this is about, guys. And, and he writes, 
under the conditions of pervasive non-innocence, the work of reconciliation should proceed under the assumption that though the believer, but sorry, that though the behaviour of a person may be judged as deplorable, even demonic, no one should ever be excluded from the will to embrace, because at the deepest level, the relationship to others does not rest on their moral performance and therefore cannot be undone by, its la- by the lack of it. Like, isn't that the heart of the gospel, guys? Isn't that like, there is nothing, there is no moral performance that I can perform to receive or be worthy of God's love. So why should I judge my enemy less, less worthy of that love? It's creating this division the, the ironic thing about enemy love, guys, is when you love their enemy, you cease, they cease to be your enemy, right? Enemy love destroys enemies because it makes them our neighbors. It makes them our friends. It's this transformative love. I'm going to ask the, the band to come. I'm, I'm going to wrap it up. It never... It never seeks to alienate enemy love. Pray for those who persecute you. I I find it hard at the best of times to pray. To pray for people I like. To even pray for myself. God bless me. Like Like that should be the easiest type of prayer, right? But Jesus says pray for those who persecute you. And... We've got, to, we've got to watch the way we pray for our enemy. Because we can, we can, have, we can have two hearts. And Jared, Jared touched on it last week. We can have my will be done or we can have your will be done. And I tell you what, there is a type of prayer when Jesus is talking about pray for your enemies, he's not talking about God rebuke them, Lord just like just hit them, make them repent, like just knock them down, Lord, let them see that I am right and they are wrong, let them be transformed, let them know that that I was doing the right thing, that I should be seen as a good guy, Lord, let them come apologize to me, I deserve an apology, bring repentance in their heart. I don't think that's the type of prayer God's talking about. Somehow, I don't think that's what God's getting at in their life. What God's saying is, what God's asking us to do is, do you know how hard it is to go, Lord, bless that, bless that person that curses me. Bless them. And you know what? The first time you do it, I can almost guarantee you won't believe it. And it's almost this, and it's a little bit cliche, so forgive it, but it's almost like this, this talk about how love isn't a feeling and, and you talk about, you hear it in premarital counseling and marriage counseling, love, isn't, love is a choice. I'll tell you what, enemy love is a choice. It's not a feeling. I don't know anyone who like feels happy towards their enemy because that contradicts what that is, right? This is transformative. Prayer is transformative. It is more transformative for you than it probably will be for them, right? First, we ask that the Spirit would transform our attitude our prejudice. Enemy love is, Lord, change me. Jesus, let me see that person as you see them. 
Because if we go back to what Obama was talking about and we, we go, is there a left or is there a right? Like, guys, there isn't a side of politics that fulfills enemy love. It's not the right wings or the left wing. Jared wrote an interesting article um, talking about religion and politics mixing together like ice cream and horse manure. The politics of Jesus, if you like, are useless. They're not going to be any help to you if you want to gain a seat in this country. But we, as Christians, we shouldn't be siding with a political party. We should be siding with the heart of God, with the enemy love call into our lives. And we should be encouraging the politicians that speak of an enemy love. And we should be calling out injustice against those that don't speak it. But we've got to remember that those that are calling out and we're speaking against injustice, that we're speaking against the racism, not the racist. That we're speaking against the prejudice, not the person. Because that we're called to love that person. We're called to pray. And, I, and, and guys, if you're finding this, this difficult, pray for your enemies but pray in a way that, that God would transform your attitude towards them because pray for a divine love. Man, I remember being in a, in a service once and, and, the, um, and the preacher said, I just feel like God's getting me to do something here. He, he wants everyone here to, to just cry out and say, God, give me a heart for the broken or for the lost, for the persecuted. And I tell you what, I've been, and it was a room of like 10,000 people and I haven't heard such grief and wailing and crying out As Christians in Australia, as Christians in a Western nation, we should understand enemy love more than anyone. Because at the end of the day, we're the enemy. It's heavy. Don't leave us on that, Sam. Like so many times, guys, that we can, we can talk about enemy love and we can talk about praying f for those that persecute us. But sometimes, and probably more often, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to include me in only this so then I can be very explicit about it. I am nine times out of ten, probably ten times out of ten, the enemy. When I am not transformed by the divine love of the Spirit that's within me, if I love only out of human love, I'm the enemy. So many times I can be the enemy of others. We, we talked about, this is probably one of the first things that I taught when I came to this church with my young adults. We talked about enemy love and having a, whoever, if you don't know who your enemy is, whoever you have a prejudice against, that's your enemy. Whoever that you aren't treating like Christ, that's your enemy. Even if it's in the slightest of ways, it could be your boss, it could be the gay person, it could be the Aboriginal person. It could be the homeless person. It could be your pastor. It's probably more often than not your pastor. That, like, who is the person that, who is the person that offends you the most? 
When I spoke a few years back on the Samaritan, the most offensive person in Jewish culture, the person that they, they hated, that was the person that God came and showed incredible hospitality through. Who is, who is the person that offends you the most? Who is the person that grinds your gears? That is the person that God's calling you to love. Why, God, I want to build up to that person. I just want to love first my wife or maybe my, my mom and dad or my sisters or my friends. I just want to love them. They're easier to love. I, I challenge you, church, love the person. Go out of your way this week to love the person that you, that you hate. I remember a preacher talking about if you're not having a good time with your boss, buy him a coffee every morning, give him a coffee, like buy him a coffee. And the heart behind it was wrong because he was like, then your boss will like you. <laughs> but my challenge is like, can you love someone in a practical way without expecting anything in return? And it's hard, guys. It's super hard. So I challenge you is, is if you can and, and, and ask the Spirit. Like so many times in the Psalms that you, you hear the psalmist cry out, like search me, oh God, search me for any impurity, for any attitude that is wrong. Like let's, let's love but then submit that love to God because otherwise we're going to get a bit prideful. Okay, we're going to go, man, I love my enemy today. Living the Sermon on the Mount. I'm walking in the resurrection. We've got we've to submit ourselves to the way of the Spirit, to the enemy love of the Spirit. I mean, the cross is enemy love in its most explicit, most horrific, most transformative way. Let's live a life of enemy love, church. I'm going to ask that you stand. We're going to, we're going to worship together. Tara's going to give us a call to the table. Let it be transformative. Let this moment be transformative in your heart. Search, pray the scary prayer. Lord, search my heart. Search my heart for prejudice. Search my heart for the things that aren't of you, Lord. Highlight to me right now, God, where I am holding anger, I'm holding hurt towards someone, Lord. Lord, let your love, let your spirit, let Christ within me transform my prejudice into enemy love, that my enemy would be transformed to my friend, that I would be transformed to love divinely in your power, in your name, in your word. Amen. What is so radical? Recognizing that the cross is enemy love that shows that we are all the enemy. I think so often we talk, and I love that Sam both opened and closed with us recognizing that it's not just about us taking the moral high ground and recognizing that we need to love those that have wronged us. But confessing Christ is to recognize that we've wronged. To come on a weekly basis to share communion together, remembering what Jesus has done for us, is to remind 
ourselves on a weekly basis that while our call is to forgive those that have wronged us or we might be walking through those challenges, the reason we can do that is recognising that we were wrong and we have been forgiven. Jesus calls us just a little before talking about loving our enemies. See, before we can love our enemies, we need to be transformed like Sam shared this morning. So before he gets to that point in the sermon, he talks about seeking forgiveness. This week, as our nation is talking about reconciliation, we need to remember as Christians, we're called to be reconciled to God and to each other. And that Jesus teaches us that before we bring an offering to God, that we need to go and seek forgiveness from those that we've wronged. We can't take a moral high ground and, and imagine that all those that have wronged us, we have the power to forgive and forget that we've wronged others. We're not going to remake this world and see things change just by being radical forgivers, but by being ones Seek forgiveness, that repent. See, Jesus calls us to a place of repentance, just recognizing what part we've had to play in whatever's gone wrong, what we've done, what attitudes we've held, what things that we've said, and what we failed to see and say. to ask God to forgive us and to go and ask forgiveness of those. See, the word says, go, if your brother has something against you or your brother and sis or sister has something against you, it's not about if you've got something against another. We often put it in those terms when we talk about communion. If you've got unforgiveness, release that before you come to the table. You know, forgive those that have wronged you. And yes, we need to do that. But this teaching from Jesus says, if someone has something against you, go and seek forgiveness, then run back. We're in the process of trying to teach our kids that they need to own what they've done and apologise if they want to get along with each other See, it's all good and well to be told off and to move on and not for them to recognise that they've done something wrong. And for some reason, uh, I think strong little characters don't like to ever be wrong. We don't like to be wrong. That's what makes this so hard. We don't like to recognise that we've failed or that we've overlooked things. 
That's why Jesus speaks to this, that we need to be willing to do that. And so this reminder to whenever we gather, do this in remembrance of him. So when we recognize what Jesus has done for us, in remembrance, understanding what he's done for us, then we can be reconciled to each other. We can be in a place to be forgivers of those that have wronged us, but we can also come to a place where we see, we recognize, and we seek forgiveness for the things that we've done wrong. My prayer and part of the vision of of this church is that we would be leaders in our city, that we would be leaders in our nation in revealing the heart of God. And if the heart of God is for reconciliation, then the vision of God for this church is that we would be leaders in reconciling to one another, in showing the way. And so I'm going to ask that as we pray a prayer together of confession, that you might consider how this week you could participate in seeking reconciliation. Maybe it's as simple as sharing the things on social media that our church is going to post throughout the week about reconciliation. Maybe it's having a conversation with someone so that you can begin to hear things from their point of view. Maybe it's seeking to grow in your understanding this week of the things that our First Nations people have experienced. Maybe you never got taught a lot about Australia's history. I'm going to challenge you today to seek out that information, to learn and grow, and then take the time to reflect. See, we might not have been here 200 years ago, and that's so often the comment, you know, I wasn't a part of that, I didn't make that choice. But have we stood by while people are mistreated? Have we failed to speak up? I'm standing here as the church representing and said we've failed our First Nations people in many ways. And saying that we're sorry that we haven't spoken up sooner, that we haven't led the way in reconciliation sooner. That we've even let things fall by the wayside that were begun, I believe, by the Spirit of God, like Nadoc started in a church and now basically forsaken by most of the church. We take up the call that is for unity, that is to see reconciliation, restoration in our world not just in relation to our nation and the peoples of our nation, but in our lives, in everything that we walk out. Will we seek to be forgiven 
to apologize when we're wrong. What an incredible world if we were all slow to anger and quick to ask for forgiveness. Slow to be offended and quick to recognize when we hurt others. Slow to hold a grudge, but quick to recognize when someone has been hurt or is carrying hurt from something that we've done or not done. Would you close your eyes for a moment, church, and pray with me if this is your heart and that you sense that you need to take part in this as we confess that we haven't done it all right. that we've tried and failed. Merciful God, you can pray it after me if you like. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you and others. We have not loved you with our whole heart not loved our neighbour, the stranger, and our enemy as you first loved us. Forgive us, Lord, for what we've left unsaid for what we haven't seen, what was uncomfortable to face. Help us to see where we've wronged and how we can make right. We ask that we would lead as your church in your way, showing people who you are In your name. Amen. If you're wondering how you might be able to do something practically, I would be comfortable in guessing that there are some in our church who would be willing to have a conversation with you if that's what you need to find out what you might be able to do, but we'll also be sharing th some things that are coming from some of the bigger organisations in our nation that are, are leading the way in reconciliation, so you'll have options there uh, via Facebook or Instagram, and I'll put it on our website so it's easily accessed. We'll put it in the newsletter that gets emailed out. But if none of that is something that you can connect with, and I understand not everyone works that way, then come and talk will point you in the right direction. And if it all seems like you don't know how we could ever make things work, where God's vision for unity and restoration seems so far away, that's why we come to this table, because we follow a God who makes a way, that he has already done enough that he is enough. So this is the table. Not of the church, but of the Lord.
It is made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have a little, you who have been here often and you who have just come for the first time, you who've tried to follow Jesus, you who failed in following Jesus, and you who've just decided to follow Jesus today, come. Let nothing keep you from love's feast. Let nothing empty this table of its power. Leave judgment behind and receive mercy. Leave indifference behind and recognize God's family because it is the Lord who invites us. It is God's will that those who desire Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit would encounter him here. So come. Lord, we have heard today of how your love has turned towards us, Father God, how your, your face is set towards us in a spirit of reconciliation, of inclusion, in love, of forgiveness, Father. And Lord, as we go out this week, as we read this benediction, as we join together, Father God, let us go out with your love, let us go out with your power. Let us go out with your heart. In Jesus' name. Church, join with me as we, as we read this benediction. Church, we have come as we are, but by His grace we are sent out not the same. For in this place the Spirit that anointed Christ has been poured out on us. He has exchanged a crown of beauty for our ashes the oil of joy for our sorrow, a garment of praise for a spirit of despair. He has spoken over us a new name, Oaks of Integrity, and prophesied we will grow into a canopy of His beauty to bless and rebuild the city in His unfailing, non-violent love. So go, broadcast good news for the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, prophesy freedom for captives, and let the blind see. Set free the oppressed, live jubilee and forgive, blessing our enemies, because Christ shut the book on vengeance. Go now in his liberating grace that pardons and empowers sinners like us to participate in God's kingdom of mercy. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you.